to the Cycling Tips podcast. I am Abby Mickey, and I am taking over Kaylee's job today because he is in the desert. Although he's here, hello. But just you know, just in case, hello, Kaylee. How's uh how's your Thanksgiving trip to Zion? It's great so far. Yeah, it's it's you know I just can't see my laptop because it's kind of bright. <laughs> so better that you host today, I think. Yeah. Well. I will take on this responsibility. <laughs> uh, we also have Dane Cash. Dane, how's it going? It's fine. There's there's a lot of news this morning at like 7 a.m. Actually, the news was actually from even hours before that. So I don't really know why people have to have all their news happen on Monday mornings of all the days of the week. Can it be like a Wednesday? I don't know. At least it happened before we started recording because it would be pretty classic if all of it happened sort of as we were recording and then we didn't get to talk about it. That is true. Yep. Shoddy Dave Everett, hello. Hello, Abby. You're doing a good job hosting so far, mate. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> and James is actually on vacation today, so we've got Ronan with us for the nerd uh, side of the podcast. Hello. Hiya. As Dean said, we've got a good amount of news to talk about today. Lifetime Gravel is putting on a series next year. Peter Sagan got found himself in some hot water. Cavendish had a nasty crash over the weekend at the six-day event. And Bike Exchange is finally signing some women to their team, which is great news. But before we dive into all of that, Shadi, you got a little uh, Continental Something to throw at us this morning? I've got a nice lot of continental stuff for you this week, Ab. Here we go. You've probably all heard the conundrum. There's fast, cheap, and good. Now, pick two of them. Well, when it comes to tyres, there are generally three factors to look at. Speed, grip, and mileage. If you want speed, you sacrifice mileage. If you want grip, you sacrifice speed, and so on. Continental's... Renowned black chili compound has been created to be adjustable. As they say at Continental, it's all about how you mix it. So, depending on the application of a tyre, Continental adjusts the compound formulation for the specific discipline. Whether that's for road or mountain biking, time trialling or downhill racing, there's a Continental tyre with just the right balance of black chili compound for pretty much every type of riding. So, when you're choosing your next set of bicycle tyres, make sure you choose uh, Continentals with Black Chili Compound. Boom. There we go. That's what I've got for you. Thanks, Shadi. All right, let's dive into the news. Dane, what's the deal with this new Lifetime Gravel mountain bike series? Yeah, uh, just that. Lifetime, which owns quite a few of the major... Off-road events, both gravel and mountain bike uh, in North America, has announced that it is launching a pro racing series in 2022. Uh, The series will feature six events for 20 men and 20 women. There will be a $250,000 purse on offer uh, for the competitors who have yet to be selected. Uh, There will be an application process for that. Uh, Unbound Gravel, which is Lifetime's probably their, their you know best known event. Uh, the Leadville Trail 100 Mountain Bike are two of the headliners. Uh, you've also got the Sea Otter Mountain Bike Race, the Crusher and the Tusher, the Schwamigan uh, Mountain Bike Race, and the relatively new Big Sugar Gravel Race in Bentonville, Arkansas. So those are the six events. Uh, all of them are Lifetime events, obviously. 
and it's going to be a pretty big deal. Um, I spoke to Lifetime's president of media and events, Kimo Seymour, uh, a few days ago about the series. Uh, so I've got a little bit of audio here. We can we can listen to Kimo kind of describing what what was behind this series and and what we can expect. What inspired the decision to wrap up all these events into a single series? You know, what was behind that? Um, good question. So, you, you know, I, I don't know that anything inspired us to, like, we, it, um, it didn't, it wasn't part of our strategy for acquiring or adding events to be able to build a series. We just wanted to kind of create, you know, we have a bunch of very unique one-off kind of every one of our events is so unique and different, you know, and they're their own brands. They have their own brand voice, their own experience. They're just, you know, unbound is a 200, you know, hundred mile or 200 mile gravel race in Emporia, Kansas, really unique experience, super unique brand, totally different from 40 mile Schwamigan, you know, up in Wisconsin, that's been around for almost 40 years, you know? So, um, this, this was just an opportunity, you know, our thought was, um, you know, the, after we had acquired and kind of grown the business to where it is, we started thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if we could kind of help, um, you know, continue to help the growth of cycling in North America by creating a series for some, for a handful of pros to come and do and see if we can't get even more excitement, enthusiasm around cycling in North America, really. And, um, you know, we, we thought of it as an opportunity to, you know, help, maybe help some pros that are now, I mean, this is the first time in a long time that pros in North America have actually had a hope of making a living riding their bikes. And so it's pretty cool to see that more and more of them are able to, you know, there, there's an, there's enough groundswell and momentum that more and more pros are able to actually get sponsors behind them and actually can make a living riding their bikes now. And it's been a long time since that, you know, that's been able to happen. It's been on pretty, you know, especially with road racing, it's been a pretty heavy decline in the last, you know, 10 years. So we just, the kind of a confluence of opportunities. We had a bunch of cool events. We have a lot, you know, we, we thought there was an opportunity to get to do something more for the pros that have been supporting us and coming to our events. Um, and so we just pieced it together um, and decided to do it with three mountain bike events and three and three gravel events. And we thought that'd be kind of cool to mix it up a little bit and not just be the best gravel riders winning or the best, you know, mountain bikers winning, but someone that can do well at both. And some sh really short, you know, like Schwamigan is going to be a drag race, 40 miles, you know, and, and then unbound is going to be a, you know, 10 to 12 hour, you know, suffer fest. Yeah, yeah. So, and everything in between, you know, you got Leadville in there, the hundred mile, that'll take the best pros six, seven hours, you know, and then you've got Schwamigan, they'll be done in under two hours, you know, um, and you know, kind of a bunch of stuff in between. Was there much, um, consulting, I guess maybe would be the right word. I don't know. Speaking to, uh, some of the pros who might be involved in these events to kind of get their take on what, what, uh, this series might look like. Did you have much kind of interplay with the, with the potential racers? Yes. And I have to give a lot of them credit for a lot of the things that you're, you know, that is in the, you know, in the press release that you saw, um, because that's exact. It, this is like the worst kept secret in cycling. Everybody knows it's coming because we consulted with all of them. 
we, well, not all of them, but a lot of them, let's say we, you know, we talk to people, we talk to industry folks, people on the, you know, on the, uh, you know, sponsors and, um, uh, manufacturers and, um, athletes. And we even talked to some media. So we got feedback from a lot of different people, um, in, in trying to pull this together and, and so it was, yeah, we're, we're thankful that we had a lot of people that had an opinion and, and so far it seems like, you know, the people that do know about it, um, you know, that have been involved in that seem really excited that they think it's a pretty neat opportunity. Have you gotten a sense from some of those pros that they would be interested in really focusing on the series itself rather than just the individual events that they would happen to already be racing anyway? You know, it's, it's funny. Most of them, most of the ones we've talked to that become our friends over the years, because they do our events, they, they like our events. Um, so they're doing them anyways, or most of them. Um, and, but now I think, you know, with this, there's been such an expansion of events, you know, so much growth and new events in the last few years, especially gravel events. Um, now they're having to be selective because there's just so many great events out there, you know? And so what we're hearing is that there, there is, um, you know, from a lot of them that we've talked to, they are going to key in and build their season off of this is going to, you know, the cornerstone of their season is going to be this six event series and then they'll piece in whatever other events they can in between. Yeah. Cool. Um, how do you get the sense a big series like this could affect the, um, races and the racing, uh, in, uh, hopefully in positive ways. And, and uh, yeah, what, what would those ways kind of be that you were hoping for here? You know, I think the diff- the only, I, the only difference it's going to make is at the, what I'll call the pointy end of the spear. Um, I think we may even see more this would, I, I think there's a chance this will draw even more big names from say the world tour male and female. Um, I think a lot of them are looking for a way to make that transition and start to build some of this alternative type of racing into their calendar. And, and I, so I think it might draw an even bigger talent pool, um, higher, you know, even more, you know, high end world tour type pros to the sport. You know, we're but but in the end, we're we're a mass participation event business, you know, and and I tell our team all the time, I think, you know, we're going to have 30,000 participants across all of our cycling events next year around the country. So this is going to have 20 males and 20 females. And so we can't put all of our, you know, all of our all of our attention and focus and energy into 40 pros. Is I think this just creates a really cool storyline, a really cool opportunity. But you know, we're still really passionate as passionate about the person that finishes last as we are about the person that finishes first. You know, there might there, there's probably more people at the finish line at most of our events cheering for the last place finisher than there is for the first place finisher. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> and so we we need to keep it that way. You know, that's. That, you know, our the meat and potatoes of our business is those thirty thousand other riders that are coming to do our events. Uh, that's a good segue because uh, the next question was how how are you planning to balance that increased focus on the pros, uh, the the pro racing aspect of this, which is now going to be augmented by the, the fact that there is this big you know there's now going to be this overarching series. How are you going to balance that? Um, with the sort of 
the roots of the events themselves, the individual events, which, you know, years ago weren't part of a series and had their own, you know, as you already said, their own kind of unique flavors? Um, I, I think the shortest way to answer that is storytelling. So um, we're still uh, working out the details of how we're going to um, storytell around the series itself. And a big component of it is, sure, a, a good component of it is going to be the front of the race. Um, this is the exciting part, pros racing and trying to win a quarter, you know, a quarter million dollar purse. But we also have these just great stories of people's journeys to get to these events. And it's just the everyday average athletes that want to get out and try to accomplish something that's, for many of them, like one of the greatest things they've ever done. And so... Our storytelling, our content development around this series is going to be heavily focused. We've kind of said, hey, it's going to be at least 50-50 focused between the front of the race and all these other really kick-ass human interest stories that come out of these events. And, 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 then, and then the communities that these events take place in and what, what the impact of these events is having on these communities. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty amazing, the impact. If you go to Emporia, Kansas and see what it's like in that community. I mean, if you go down there, you know, right now it's probably 32 degrees out and I bet you see 50 people going out to ride the Flint Hills today. You know, I mean, any given time, I mean, it is, it's put cycling, you know, it's put the town on the map from a cycling perspective, you know, same thing with Leadville. You go up there in the summer, in the entire summer, even if we don't have an event happening on a weekend, it is just every other car has three, four mountain bikes on the back of it. And people are going up to ride all those beautiful roads and trails up there. So to us, it's, it's a lot about the, all the other athletes in the communities. Um, as much about that as it is about the front end of the race. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. They're kind of linking everything up. It's, obviously becoming a huge part of racing in the u.s especially with the uh dwindling road scene so love having things kind of linked together and made into a series yeah quite a sizable purse for bike racing in north america uh but i think that reflects the fact that these are quite large events uh, and also the fact that uh these are well attended events and uh chemo mentioned that basically that the pros are a big focus for them and that's obviously the focus for this series at the same time it's it's the whole field that they focus on generally and the you know the participation aspect of it really is quite huge and and i'm sure that's also quite a uh, source of revenue for them so that that's kind of helping them be able to put up such a large prize purse for this small select group of pros uh who you know represent only a very small portion of the of the number of people who are actually riding these events I'm sure there's going to be sort of hemming and hawing over over sort of the, the pro focus here. But it feels to me like you can, I don't know, walk and chew gum at the same time. Like you can you can have a really fun event for all the people in the back and still have a more professional uh, front, basically, an opportunity for those people to be making money to. I mean, this is a, a serious amount of money. You're talking about splitting 150K per gender among 10 people at the end of this. So, you know, potentially basically a salary out of this one series, uh, a low salary out of this one series that could, I think, positively impact the way that the front of these these events operate and doesn't really affect those of us that are going to be hanging on the back. Yeah. Kimo mentioned that they they 
one of the motivating factors for this was kind of wanting to do something for the pro racing scene in North America, uh, which is so heavily focused on off-road racing these days. We, we Just like every other week, we hear a new story about somebody retiring from world tour racing to go race gravel. Uh, and it, it is such a big focus for so many people. At the same time, I think, and he mentioned this, they're going to kind of focus their efforts on, uh, he used the word storytelling around not just the pros, but also the people at the back of the race and all the, you know, the human interest stories back there is what he, what he said. Uh, and that makes sense to me. I, I think that, like you said, you can, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. This is not that hard to do both a, uh, put up a big prize purse for the pros while also focusing heavily on the, the participants who, yeah, at the end of the day really are the kind of lifeblood, I think, of these events. I like the fact that it's combining mountain bike and gravel events too, because a lot of the a lot of the sort of pushback has been around these road pros going and racing gravel. Some of them actually come from mountain bike backgrounds, though, so they're going to be just fine. Some of them don't, I should say. Uh, I don't know whether Pete Stetna has ridden mountain bikes a lot in the last 10, 15 years. He and I went to school together for one year before he dropped out and became a pro. And we went to mountain bike nationals together and uh, he was, if I recall correctly, the first to the top of the climb at mountain bike nationals. And then by the bottom was like sixth or seventh or something like that. So not the best mountain biker in the world, at least 10, 12 years ago. I don't know how much he's been riding since, but you know, if, if you are going to be combining unbound and like some pretty serious, like Schramm gets a pretty serious mountain bike race, you're going to have to bring real mountain bike skill set to be able to compete for this thing. So it will actually kind of, it will remove from the equation any of the sort of pure roadie, you know, not particularly good bike handler and specifically mountain bike handler, which is a different kind of a different animal. Uh, so I'm interested to see kind of who succeeds here and, and we're going to get a better picture, I think, of where some of these riders sort of truly come from and what type of riding they actually excel at. Hey, Kayla, you do know that uh, Peter Staten has the white rum FKT on a mountain bike? Yeah, Come but on. that's not really mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had arrow bars on it. Yeah, any anytime you have arrow bars on a mountain bike, that's not mountain biking, I'm sorry. That's like that's a that's just bumpy gravel racing. It it does seem a bit strange to me. If I remember right, the results from Onbound this year, uh there there wasn't twenty pros in the top twenty. Uh I think Bandolini was quite close to the top twenty, if I remember right. Um so are 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 they gonna go out and invite more pros specifically for the events next year or is that sort of a missed opportunity that you know someone who goes to all these events and we can't just rack up enough points and claim themselves a bit of this prize purse so there's a there's going to be an application process for people and something tells me they're going to get more than 20 men and 20 women who apply uh so i don't think they're going to have trouble sort of filling the ranks of the series they, they haven't announced who that's going to be yet. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be guaranteed that somebody like Pete Stetna is going to make it in. I assume he will be one of the pros, but there aren't enough. There are more than just Pete Stetna out there. And I think there'll be plenty of people who are maybe at the borderline between, you know, former world tour pro and somebody who likes to ride their bikes. Uh, and enough of them, I think, will apply for this, that they probably won't have too much trouble filling the ranks with, you know, people who are whether they're actual full time pros or people who are racing their bikes for a little bit of money uh, remains to be seen but yeah i don't think they'll have trouble with that i i bet you see a bunch of the mountain bike sort of pro circuit just jump into these because there's not that many gravel events right i i bet you because it's easier to go that way than the other way i would imagine so yeah i i don't think they're gonna have any trouble filling it when you can when you consider what you know you tend to get for bike racing in america this is 
this is quite a lot of cash. So I, yeah, I think plenty of people will be interested in this. Well, cool. Can't wait to kind of follow it next year. Uh, and interested to see who, who they pick up for the 20 men and 20 women. Should we talk about some of the news that broke this morning that Dane mentioned? Uh, specifically, Peter Sagan had an incident in April that is getting to us now. So, Dane, what happened? Yeah, so Peter Sagan was apparently returning from a night out with his brother, Jurash. Uri? Sorry, Slovakian listeners. I should brush up on that. Um, I think it's Uri. Yeah, they were... Okay, so Peter and Uri were coming back. Uri was driving the vehicle. Uh, they were stopped by Monaco police for breaking the COVID-19 curfew that was in place. And during the stop, an apparently intoxicated Peter Sagan uh, became difficult and uh, apparently injured a police officer. A uh, police officer suffered a hand injury. According to the newspapers uh he was concerned that he would be forced to be vaccinated quote forced to be vaccinated so so says the newspaper uh and yeah so he injured a police officer uh he was then taken to a police station uh held in custody for several hours uh and then apparently uh did, did not remember what he had done and apologized and uh he has since been fined uh, several thousand euros for the altercation, as well as a further amount for, you know, breaking the, the curfew. The, the fine for break, uh, uh, in, injuring someone's hand was much, much greater than for violating the curfew. Uh, that news emerged this morning, and he relatively quickly afterward took to social media to apologize. Uh, he said, quote, Regarding the news that appeared today related to the night of April 25th, I wish to take this opportunity to convey my most sincere apologies. It was an ugly experience that made me think profoundly and draw valuable lessons. I am truly sorry for this incident, which will not happen again. End quote. So that's what Peter Sagan said today, Monday, after the news emerged of his April incident and the subsequent fine. It's been a while since we had uh, Sagan in the news for something stupid less than savory Is it, has it been that long because uh, you know at the giro he was uh he was uh penalized for what was the, the i mean i the quote was great uh intimidation improper conduct against other riders that was merely months ago so i i'd say he's mm. that's that's two unsavory stories for sagan in, in six months does this put his season into context a little bit if he's out partying in april Possibly. It was after yes. the classics. I feel like he deserves a little bit of, I, I can't give him too much of a hard time for, for you know, going out af after the classics, but before the Giro. I mean, he can, he's not a robot, right? He True. He, he gets to go there out sometimes. There is a bit sometimes. of a gap there. Yeah. yeah. He shouldn't be breaking curfew and, and injuring police officers. I don't, that's not okay. But yeah. I, I think most pros would probably tell you that the gap between the end of the classics and the beginning of the Giro, which is what, two weeks, three weeks, is not really big enough to like go on a bender and then recover. Uh, yeah, I would agree with Kaylee on this one. And that generally, <laughs> if, if you are doing that group of events, that the post Giro is probably when you would want to go um, get pulled over in Monaco and. I don't know, injure a police officer if that's if that's how you want to spend your evenings. I, I, yeah, I, 
it's it's tough with him because he feels like one of those riders who can do pretty well without really trying and so it's kind of hard to tell whether he's trying or not and i got the sense this whole season that he was sort of not really into it all that much i will note that three days after his altercation he won a stage at the tour de romandie and then he went on to win a stage and the points jersey at the Giro d'Italia. So maybe that's what I mean. <laughs> maybe that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> maybe this helps him win because before in the season he wasn't doing that great, and then later in the season he didn't do a whole lot. So uh, maybe Sagan needs to go out and sometimes get himself thrown into a, a cell at a police station. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. so the real question is, how many of these incidents have we not heard about? Given how much he has won. Exactly. That is the conclusion that I'm drawing here, Ronan. It's exactly that. That seems very logical to me. That That's exactly what I'm talking about, though. It's like, it's, it's, you know, you hear pros talk about this sometimes in that there are other riders in the peloton who frustrate them because they are so good that they can do things like this and still turn around and win a bike race three days later, right? But he's the kind of rider who, if he didn't do this, well, then he wins you know, multiple world championships in a row, right? So it's, it's I don't know. For me, it, it we don't know him and his story uh, entirely over the last couple of years, but we do know that his performance has dropped off and then things like this happen. Uh, and I think that you can start to put two and two together that maybe he's not as dedicated as he once was. That's just my, that's my assumption here. Uh not even that you can necessarily blame him. It's been a rough couple of years for everybody, but he could probably be racing better, I guess is what I'm saying. It seems like he's one of those guys that if he's not having fun, then he's not going to put effort into it. Like if he was having more fun racing, he would probably be a little bit more serious, which sounds uh, like it doesn't go together, but there that's definitely a thing. I think, I think that makes sense. I mean, maybe he just needs to start mountain biking again, right? Like... He, we, we, he's been this way forever that we know that this is just how he operates. Uh, it's, you know, it's why he went and raced the mountain bikes in, in Rio instead of racing the road race, right? Like maybe he just needs to call it a road career and go race cross country for two years and, and get some of that, get some of that spark back. I mean, if he's, if he's getting his spark by going out in Nice in the short gap between the classics and the Giro, maybe there's more, uh, positive ways to get your spark back perhaps? i have an idea he he can race in north america next season i've heard of this series that's coming <laughs> now that would be a coup huh that would be lifetime would love that oh yeah can you Absolutely. can you see the a french squad allowing him to do that though a, a very traditional french squad even though they have said in their press release when sagan signed for total energies for 2022 that he was going to go off and do a bit of gravel bit of mountain biking can you honestly see a french squad as traditional as they are going yeah sure go off for three months yeah, of the season <clears throat> i've not seen the contract i think i am going to one of their camps soon so i'll see if i can have a sneak peek <laughs> I'll have words i just with i just i mean i get the sense that part of the reason why he went to that team is because there's there's you know nobody's gonna he's the most powerful figure of that team by a long ways now right can kind of dictate he brought the new sponsors he brought a bunch of riders like you know i don't think that they could stop him from from coming over and doing unbound if he really wanted to honestly maybe he should get that spark back like i said i fully agree i think he should and i think it would be awesome for not just 
for him for specialised. But I also think it would be good for a French team to actually veer away from what they usually do. Because it that, like you look at like, it is the Frenchest of French teams, and they need to they they don't have a a huge fan base outside of France. They don't even have a huge fan base within France. So they need to change something to get um to get people on board supporting the team, supporting the 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 sponsor. So yeah, I think like to mix it up by sending him to mountain bike races, unbound, that sort of stuff, would bring that team alive. It's been a rough uh, four days for Sagan though. Like first off, Cycling Tips social media channel brings up an old video of him, the wheelie fail in in the Alice Criterium where he went. And then three Oof. days later, this Nice newspaper brings up this story about him. It's and they say it comes in three, so God knows what's around the corner for him. <laughs> and if if we're going down that route, it's been a, a quite a good one for the Monaco police recently. You've had the Geraint Thomas, this, we're just waiting for a third one then. <laughs> well, speaking of old world champions, Mark Cavendish was part of a crash at the Ghent six day this weekend and suffered Two broken ribs and a collapsed lung. So news of him staying in the ICU overnight came this morning. Dane, is he going to be okay? All, all indications are that that is the case. Um, I haven't seen a specific quote from a doctor saying Mark Cavendish will be fine. Uh, but it does seem <laughs> that the team has said that he'll be, he's expected to go home either today, this is Monday, uh, or tomorrow morning. Um and yeah, I mean, injuries are pretty serious, but he did, I mean, he did get up and sort of wave to the crowd before he was taken away. Um, and uh, yeah, I haven't seen any indication that um, that's going to have, you know, lasting um, bad impacts on him. The crash is pretty hard to watch. I mean, he, he, hit, he hit the deck pretty hard. Uh, apparently there was some water on the track in the final event of the against six. And uh, there was sort of a chain reaction of events. Uh, uh, Gerben Thyssen like kind of lost traction on the track um, a little bit, and then behind him, uh, Kenny De Catella swerved, and then Lassie Norman Hansen was right behind him, and he crashed, and then Cavendish uh, collided with a, a recently fallen Lassie Norman Hansen, and he went down, and uh, both of them were on the ground for a bit. How do you have water on a track? Not to make light of the situation, but the reason there'll be water on the track is because they banned beer this year at against six, didn't they? They went, you're not allowed to be drinking beer at at the race. <laughs> and as anybody who's been to the Ghent six will know, there will be no beer spilt at Ghent six because everyone's getting it down their neck neck far too fast. So yeah, you you allow water and people just aren't bothered, are they? So they're going to be putting it here, there, and everywhere. Whatever the cause, there was definitely some criticism in the Belgian water is media. Water far more dangerous than of- beer. From from the riders, they're very unhappy with the fact that there was water on the court or on the track. Uh, I may have been, I think, from from a rider or or a team, um, you know, with a with maybe a wayward uh, bottle or, or something. Who knows? But uh, yeah, definitely not not so, not a lot of happy riders out there due to the nature of the crash. And he's he was uh, supposed to be negotiating with Lafabre at the Ghent Six Day for his contract for next year, which we still don't know anything about. That is correct. So this probably. Uh, puts those on puts those negotiations on hold for a little while. We we've heard that this is supposed to happen. The deal is supposed to happen, uh, but we continue to wait on actual details. It's gonna go race mm-hmm. unbound. Sagan Cavendish, yeah, both both of them need the money. <laughs> Cavendish also had double uh, cycling tips news articles over the weekend because he his custom shoe doctor Nikes are. Uh, 
on the site as well. Blood, sweat, and tears. With the 34, because the 34 stages that th- he's won. I thought you were going to give us an insight into your opinion on the shoes there, Abby. I think they're sweet. Uh, I really like them. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I was waiting, like I was waiting for a... I thought uh, the way you teed it up, I thought you didn't like them. <laughs> I agree. You had a little, the, the voice there, it, there was like you were waiting to then say, and I don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're fine. I like the little heart and stuff. How do they compare to the Sagan shoes? Oh, they're like worlds better than the Sagan shoes. I don't yeah. think that's possible. I mean, but they're the shoe doctor. It's Ronan's buddy, right? Mm-hmm. Just down the road. Yeah, I can't. I don't want to say anything bad about them. <laughs> no, you can hear style. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't that what they say? No, no, I think they're cool. I think they're cool. I'm surprised that they did them because, like, it, this is the first year. The first season is not raced on Nike shoes. It's been it's been specialized, any this season. First time that Nike were like, "Yeah, we're not sponsoring you anymore." Hmm. And, and perhaps they 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 did. Sp- say that he's been a Nike athlete throughout all those Tour de France stage victories. So that's a good point, though. Uh, Dave, I haven't been tracking what, which Nike, Nike products he has been uh, showing off this year, but it must have been something, I guess. Ronan, you're meant to be the tech expert as well. <laughs> I think he's still, a sponsor. he's still sponsored by him. Yeah, he's just, he, for whatever reason, he's not wearing those shoes anymore. I mean, like, they would make those shoes just for him, right? They don't sell those anymore. So maybe they were just finally... Like, ah, we're not going to make any more of these. Who knows? Also, teams can be pretty strict about wearing sponsor correct stuff, even if you're Cav. I, like, yeah, maybe five, four years ago, he would have been able to be like, no, I'm not wearing the team sponsor correct shoes. I'm going to wear my own shoes. But nowadays, you know, pre his tour run this year, I don't think, and even now, uh, clearly he doesn't have as much pull as he wants to have in the contract negotiations. So I think now, like, he's a little bit more tied down in terms of what he's allowed to use. I mean, yeah, teams can be pretty weird about uh, personal sponsorships if there's any kind of crossover for what the team is sponsored by, and obviously Specialized is a massive sponsor of Dakota Quickstep, so they would be pretty strict about him wearing the specialized shoes in racing. That seems like the most likely culprit there. Yeah. All right. On to some women's news. We talked earlier in the postseason about team bike exchange and how it seems like there's some, some weird transition going on at the team. They hadn't signed really many women at all, but there's finally some news about some new women joining the team, some contract extensions, and they've got a 12 rider roster now. So really good news from team bike exchange. They've kept Anne St. Esteban, uh, Erska Ziegart, probably we're pronouncing that wrong. They've picked up Nina Kessler and a couple other riders. So yeah, looks like everything's all good over, over at team bike exchange for now, or at least, they're able to hold it together. And there's been a couple of signings for through 2023. So that's also good news. I was going to ask how long the contracts are. So we got two year contracts in those part. We got a couple two year contracts, not a ton. Um, but yeah, Georgia Baker, who was on Orca, uh, Orca Scott in 2017 re-signed with the team for 2022 and 2023. Um, she's not done a ton of racing, but 
is still, she's only 27. So she's joined the team for, for two years. Uh, I said earlier, Kristen Faulkner's on for two years. And then most of their new signings are two years. Uh, Ruby Roseman Gannon, who Matt Deneef interviewed earlier is a two year contract as well as Alexandra Manley and Nina Kessler. So six riders have contracts for 2023, which is great for, you know, we, it looked like it was a bad situation over there for a little bit with the lack of signings and they were one of the best teams in the world in 2020, 2019. So good to see that they're still kind of rebuilding that roster after they lost Annemiek. Excellent news all around. Still a lot of weird, uh, exporting riders. That's not how you say it, but yeah, but it's one of those years, you know, post Olympic year, I guess. Just goes to show how difficult it is though. When you, a team does lose a big leader, like Van Vluten to try and rebuild them. It's, you know, there, there's obviously been a few difficulties there, but trying to replace someone who is as successful as that is also damn difficult. Yeah. And I mean, clearly they thought that they would be able to replace Anamique to some extent with Amanda Spratt. Um, but the iliac artery endofibrosis kind of took that plan threw it out the window. Um, and then obviously they lost Grace Brown. So they've still kind of got a lot of, uh, movement going around, going on, and it doesn't seem like any of the riders on the team now will be an Annemiek Van Vluten. But then again, we've only got one. And um, that's, I think, enough for the Peloton. You don't need two Annemiek. That sounded bad. No, no, no. That sounded bad. <laughs> Maybe it would actually be good if we had two Annemiek so that they could battle each other. I don't know. Who's the closest thing to a second Annemiek right now? I mean, Vandebregen, but she's retired. That's what so I mean. Like, yeah. Like, no one. So nobody. Yeah. No, I mean, hope, there's going to be someone who steps it up for sure. It's been, there's been a couple women who are close to being very good. I feel like the closest one is probably Demi Vollering. Um, but it'll be an interesting year next year with, there's been some movement within the teams. There's obviously new teams sprouting up with uno x and also i mean it's not a new team but education ef education tibco silicon valley bank is basically a new team in that they've picked up a lot of riders and are stepping it up so I, I, the women's peloton next year is going to be really interesting to suss out the first couple races and then the the stage races are going to be just madness i'm still reeling from the realization that Ronan also says Nike. I mean, Dave, I can forgive, but I thought the Irish were just better, you know? <laughs> I, I chop and change. I chop and change, to be fair. I, when I said Nike, I realized midway through I'm saying Nike and not Nike. In their defense, phonetically, that's how you should say it. Not right? if you're Greek, which is what she is. Nike, that's true. goddess. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, Wait, that's fault. what the company's named after? You did yeah. A Greek goddess? Yeah, Nike's the goddess of victory. Yep. All right. Didn't know that. Me neither. You learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> Dane, let's hear about let's hear about Hammerhead. Sure. Yeah. The Hammerhead Karoo 2, specifically, uh, is a next generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebars. See your data clearly 
with a high-res, full-color, smartphone-like screen. The touchscreen display is beautiful and responsive and gives you on-the-go flexibility. It's even water and scratch resistant. Karoo 2's advanced and industry-leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities set it apart from other GPS options so you can explore with confidence. Seamlessly import routes from Strava, Komoot, and more. Hammerhead's new exclusive climber feature lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time. Climber was designed and developed in collaboration with the world's best climbers like Israel startup nation's Mike Woods. For a limited time, Hammerhead has an incredible deal. Buy a Karoo 2 at hammerhead.io slash trade in and get up to 170 US dollars when you trade in your current cycling computer. This offer won't last long, and it's only available at hammerhead.io slash trade in. So don't wait to trade in and trade up to a Karoo 2 today. Get up to $170 off your purchase. That's hammerhead.io slash trade in to get your trade started today. Thanks so much, Hammerhead, for supporting this episode. I've actually been playing around with a Karoo 2 recently. And you know what I actually, I haven't tried that climber feature, but what I actually really like about it is that it's got touchscreen and good old fashioned buttons. So you can take your pick. And sometimes the touchscreen like works and sometimes buttons works, but to have both is the one thing that so far just stood out to me. And I, I yeah, I like it. What I take from that is that that's a massive insult that you have not used the climber feature yet, considering you are Mr. Everesting. Well, I'd never plan to climb again. <laughs> good point, good point. <laughs> <laughs> and hence why you're doing a turbo test soon. <laughs> I mean, you're not climbing, Ronan, because you're riding inside a lot, right? Is this a segue? That was a segue. Do I have to say nerd nugget? <laughs> All right, let's 10. move into the nerd nugget. Well done, Abby. Well done. <laughs> nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. You're taking over for James in the Nerd Nugget section of today's podcast. And yes, uh, we're talking a little bit about indoor pain caves. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, I've uh, been bestowed with the honor of uh, testing a number of pain cave setups. Uh, first of all, taking my pick of the best pain caves you could possibly assemble and then uh, writing up a few reviews of those. So expect those to land fairly shortly. I've got uh, trying to be kind of been trying to suss out the best at a number of different price points uh, looking at everything from obviously the trainer uh, and also fans desks mats um, went off piste for a couple of the selections to try and get within uh, within the price brackets but yeah it's been uh, what does that mean <laughs> Why do you go off piste in selecting trainer parts you're getting an invoice for ten thousand dollars here Kaylee next week <laughs> So red flags, the first red flags are going off right now. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's a number of trainer brands who have also branched out uh, to cater to other parts of your pain cave setup, like those climber uh, gradient simulation devices that you can get for a number of trainers now, and also like fans than that that you can get. Uh, and I thought it would be interesting to compare uh, how some of these fans compare. So you can obviously pick up a fan in the local hardware store for, I don't know, 20 euros, which is about, I don't know, $1,000, uh, something like that. Uh, or, or you can get a $1,000 fan, which is, I don't know, about 10 pounds sterling or something. So yeah, I've, I've just been trying to compare um, or looking at how these fans compare and then also looking at somehow how the indoor 
specific training kit that we see more and more of, uh, how it compares and, and if it actually makes a difference compared to riding your normal kit indoors. Um, indoor training, I used to just wear my bibs and that was it. Um, but now if you want to race on uh, Zwift, all their indoor platforms are available. Uh, you have to wear a jersey for some of these races. So uh, some brands are now coming out with indoor specific kit. Uh, and I decided to wrap that into some of the Pain Cave setup reviews also. So you can uh, expect some of that to land in the coming in the coming weeks. Do we do we have a first one? Are we going to put a date in the sand here? If we have to. <laughs> this week. Oh, I won't with, make with, you do that. Within the week. I won't make you do that. <laughs> within a week. All right. Mm. Sorry, did I, just, did I just miss it? Hear you. Ronan, did you say some of the Zwift races require you to wear a jersey? Yeah, some of them, because you have to be, you know, on camera for, for some of the races or some of the top riders need to be on camera, they do have to wear a jersey as well. You know, they it, we don't want any sort of indecent exposure here. Right. Uh, so they do have to wear, they do have to wear jerseys. Uh, also, the Zwift World, or not, sorry, the Zwift World Championships, the, the UCI Esports World Championships, which happen to be on Zwift, uh, all the writers are live streamed on that and they all have to wear the jersey of their nation uh, and I know that some of the writers actually went to sort of great lengths last year to get more breathable versions of their nation's jerseys uh, because you're indoors and overheating does happen quite quickly it is rather important to try and keep yourself ventilated as much as possible so uh, that that, uh, that is a thing and it's quite an important thing actually Fair enough. I just thought it was just for the general folk, not not just for the top dogs. I was like, all right, thanks for putting us straight there. Well, a lot of people jump on different chats and different video streaming and that. So I think of a jersey is just sort of desirable in most cases. It's why going to be if if anybody else is going to see you training, it's a it's a sort of scary enough sight seeing someone. Uh, heaving themselves up, up as roughed. I know, I know. In, in my kitchen last winter when I was training for that Everson, it was quite messy at times. Uh, so <laughs> be, better to keep it as as clean as possible, I guess. It's it's why we don't stream this live video wise, and why Kaylee bizarrely hasn't got his video on today, so we can't see him. <laughs> Is he on Zwift right now? I'm on Zwift right now, in the middle of the desert. Yep. Ronan, how many different setups did you try for this? Well, here's the thing. I'm on four, uh, but there's two trainers that have been delayed in getting to me that will round out the the sort of group test. Uh, there's one price point where it's very, very close. Which which uh, ideal pain cave I would, uh, which ideal pain cave setup I would choose. Um, so yeah, that I'm just waiting to sort of, and and it's it's that sort of mid mid price range that is, is so close and so tight and. Um. Yeah, just trying to try out a couple of different trainers there to see see which setup is my would be my pick, I guess. Because our trainers still super backed up. I remember for basically half of twenty twenty and the beginning of twenty twenty one, it was impossible to get a trainer. I don't want to say that there is no supply issues because I don't know if there's no supply issues or not at the moment. I know I know that I was. Uh, there are, there are some trainers that are only available in certain. Uh, regions and I, I, although a couple of those sort of looked good on paper, I didn't want to go for something that would be restricted to you know certain users. Uh, there, there are a number of um, accessories, let's say, like uh, the desks and that that you can get for these indoor trainer setups that are region specific. But you start looking around the world and you find them under different brands and brand names and that, so they're generally available elsewhere. 
Uh, but for the main item, the the trainer itself, I didn't want to be uh, reviewing a trainer that might not be available to a large portion of the readership. Did you wait to do this whole project until your garage was done? Or is this all hanging out in your living room? Well, you know, that that's what I meant when I said going off piste. You could have, uh, you know, 20 of these trainers or uh, one of these garages. Uh, you're trying... <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what I'm just warning, Katie, there is an invoice coming for a heck of a lot of uh, con- construction work that happened here recently. He's just going to invoice his entire garage. Yeah. We'll see if Don't we can I'm saying garage. Dane has put me off. He's put me off my own train of thought here. I'm saying garage now instead of like shed or garage or something, but I definitely don't say garage. Nice. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm really looking forward to those articles coming out want to know what's the best maybe what's the cheapest you you're probably a bigger zwift fan than i am well you're definitely a bigger zwift I love fan zwift than I am. so much i have i've been on the road for a month and haven't been able to zwift and i gotta say i miss it i i really miss it like a lot so everyone's looking at me like i'm nuts that's fine you're nuts i accept it it's okay uh, to finish up the episode today, we're going into that time of year when the staff does their top 10 products of the year articles. So those will start launching soon, but we wanted to do a little bit of background into how we, how we pick the top 10 products of the year. Kaylee, do you want to let us do, give us a little insight? Sure. I mean... I'm sitting here. I'm trying to think of, I, I haven't done mine 10 yet, <laughs> so I don't really know. We should go to Shadi. Shadi, you put your 10 together already. How did you pick your, how did you pick your 10? Maybe just like pick one or two items there and, and let us know why they ended up on the list. Well, it's just, uh, it depends on the sort of year that you have, I find. Like over years, like looking back at previous years, I've had like stuff where I've been going out and not racing, but going to, going out hard and proper training but like out life's changing a lot recently i've now had my second kid everybody will know that from listening to the epi- stage four podcast of the tour de france and um yeah it's just sort of like i've found that picking products recently has come down to my lifestyle changes rather than my riding style so like top of the list uh, like probably the second year in a row isn't my bike, but my kid's bike, my daughter's bike. Last year I had a, an early rider balance bike in there because it's a bike that's gave me more joy than any other bike I've ever had. And then this year uh, she learned to ride with, with pedals uh, just before her third birthday. And yeah, this second, ad fo- this second hand frog bike that my, uh, my, dad kindly sent over because we were having trouble getting a bike as jumped into the top spot in my top 10. Um, and then there's just little bits and pieces that have sort of, uh, again, I suppose down to not lifestyle choices, but realizing bit, bits and bobs, which and in this case is the environment, like the, the new Muckoff punk power cleaner. It's like a product that I wouldn't have really, shown that much interest in previously but the fact that it has like zero impact on the environment or very little impact on the environment for a bike cleaner sort of starts getting you thinking about other things as well 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the, that's the coolest thing about these top 10 lists that we do at the end of the year is the fact that they they end up being this this really interesting reflection of who we are as as well, both as cyclists and as just people, like where we are in our lives and what's what are we interested in and what do we like doing and you know, it turns out that the 10 products you are sort of most in love with from a given year end up being a very good reflection of that cuz yeah, I'm I'm very much in the same boat like you know, a couple of years ago, I had I had fast road bikes and and you know big squishy trail bikes and and things like that. And you know, the, the the two that come to mind for me this year, one is an Urban Arrow bucket bike, right? A, a, an e cargo bike that has basically allowed us to to almost never drive in town, which has been amazing. Uh, which is great, you know, obviously. <laughs> for the environment, but also for our sanity and not having to drive anywhere and park anywhere and, and deal with that. The other one is, you know, I moved about six months ago and the place I live now has amazing mountain biking and not very much road riding. And the place I came from had amazing road riding and not very much mountain biking. And as a result, I've been mountain biking a lot and like simple little things like Kushkor for the rear of my hardtail have been life-changing this year and I, I stopped flatting and stopped breaking rims and doing dumb things like that and yeah I, I I always find that these things like I said are, are a really interesting snapshot into who we are and and where we are in a particular year so why don't we why don't we go around everybody else and everyone give us one item Shadi and I have done it give us one item that's going to be on your list for this year start with I don't know Ronan that that's kind of a scary thought though if you're saying this is a reflection of ourselves because half of my list is all about slowing down and getting less fit and enjoying you know uh less competitive aspects of cycling detraining uh, it's important detraining yes and then i've also got time trial bikes on the list so explain <laughs> that <laughs> take take that as my one and explain that for me please <laughs> you just you just messed up Ronan. and that's that's all it is <laughs> you're just in a you're in a confused transition phase, Ronan. Is, is where I, and, you're and, at. In my top ten article, I, I referred to it as my mid fitness crisis. <laughs> I mean, like you know, I'm I'm I have stuff for cross country racing on there because I do find that you know as we step into uh, having young children and life changing in those ways, like having a athletic outlet does actually become more important but the athletic outlet changes in that for me i can i can get fit enough for a 90 minute cross-country race uh and i imagine you kind of feel a little bit similar about about time trialing because it's actually not a huge time commitment generally uh in the grand scheme of sort of cycling in general maybe that's where it comes from maybe mm, i think shoddy was right <laughs> that's the first I'm gonna, I'm gonna have that as yeah, my uh, gonna have that as my ringtone <laughs> Abby, Dane, who wants to go next? give us one yeah, one of my products for this year is the Bevo One water bottle it's um, a metal water bottle that goes in line a little bit with the uh, environment aspect that Shadi mentioned it's a 21 ounce recyclable stainless steel water bottle Designed by NASA, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's it's really cool. It's 100% recyclable stainless steel, food grade, everything. And my favorite thing about it is I 
tend to put water or scratch or something in my bottles and then uh, I'll drink one or drink half or whatever and forget and leave it on my bike in the garage overnight and then go back the next morning and our garage is like kind of far away from our apartment so I don't usually if I go out and my bottles are on my bike already, I'm not going to walk back into my apartment and fill them. I'll just wait until I find like a fountain somewhere. Um, but they always, they never taste terrible. Something about the stainless steel on the inside helps keep the water from tasting like plastic, obviously, cause it's not plastic. Um, and also keeps it from like going moldy and, and gross and stuff. So those have been, Really, really awesome this year for me. There you go. That's a good one. Dane? Yeah. Wrap this show up? Yeah. One product I loved this year, in addition to Taylor Swift's folklore. Um, Thank you. Was my eight-year-old Giro Aeon helmet, which has never failed me. Nice. I haven't crashed in it yet, so I, I mean, I, I can't really say that it hasn't failed because it hasn't had the opportunity to succeed or fail but it continues to deliver and provides me with head protection while being relatively aero and well ventilated uh yeah eight years later eight years after i bought it and i love the thing and i don't plan to stop wearing it or switch it out for a new helmet anytime soon Dude, i feel like that- jira would tell you you should replace that <laughs> pro- pro- probably but yeah but i haven't crashed i haven't really had any incidents so i don't really know why i would help replace it you know which is probably a good thing which is a good thing on many respects, but eight years, that helmet, because you go out in the sun, don't you? It's going to be destroyed yeah. by the weather. And eight years is a long time. Get yourself around uh, James's house. You're in the same city he as him. Have, he must have a few kicking about. He can he lend you. He does have a boatload of, yeah, of items to, yeah, in that garage of his. And that garage of his. Look after that Ed Dane. Eight years is far too long to keep. Eight years is far too long to keep a helmet. It's well past its sell-by date. I'm with, I'm with Shawnee here, Dane. I appreciate this as a product, but I believe that you should go find yourself a new helmet because we care about your brain. It's important. We have a vested interest, actually, in your brain continuing to function quite well. So that's fair. Yeah, we that, can probably figure this. Is out. that all this is? You really just? I mean, yeah. I I, yeah, I, I want to feel like you care about it, but I also know you want to. You know, you want the the news to keep rolling out on Monday morning. So right. If you yeah. get a concussion, I don't get news, and that's a yeah. Problem. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> we wrap this should we wrap this episode up abby yeah <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this cycling tips podcast we will be back next week to talk about the news and stuff and have a lovely week great job hosting thanks You're welcome i think oh, that was genuine did excellent work Okay. I think this is better than this is above average episode. What does everybody agree with me? My mom will love it. That's for sure.